who knows that being in a good mood is really great? Who enjoys being in, who enjoys being in a bad mood? We'll pray for you afterwards. Um, but, uh, I mean, sometimes, no, we won't go there. Uh, but most languages have lots of different words to describe joy. And uh, you know, the, the Bible isn't actually terribly much different. There are lots of Hebrew words, there are lots of Greek and Aramaic words that, for joy. And the Bible really seems to have two sorts of joy involved in it. There's, there's the sort we're all used to. And even God's involved in that. I mean, page one of the Bible, you just have to turn to it, and God says, what I've created is good. In fact, it's very good. And the people rejoice in it. We've got a, there's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 104, 104, verse 14, which talks about rejoicing in the things of God. It says, he makes grass grow for the cattle, plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, who likes food, and wine that gladdens human hearts. I won't ask who likes wine. Um, it says, oil to make their faces shine. Who does that these days? You know, we've got some anointing oil here. Would you all like to come and make your faces shiny? I think it must have been a nourishing sort of treatment, probably put out by um, Longcom or something. Um, and bread that sustains their heart. And so there's this talk of joy of the normal things of life, just... just Growing food, eating food, drinking wine. And as we read through, we find that there's joy at weddings. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 11 talks about the sounds of joy and laughter and the joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again, along with the joyous songs that people bring, of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. People find joy in children. Yes, it's true. Proverbs 23, 24 says, The father of, a godly, of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. I think the most fun children, I mean, Elliot is my, my granddaughter. She's, she's nearly two, I think. And she's not what you'd call wise. <laughs> she's impulsive, destructive, Horribly cute. Um, I, I got a, a, a text message from George last night. He was obviously down here printing something, and he said, that, any clues as to why the printer isn't working? And my mind flashed back to earlier in the week where Elliot had managed to hide behind the printer. I mean, the gap between the printer and the wall is only that wide. How on earth she'd got in there, I don't know. So my first thought was, somebody's pulled out a plug. So I texted back, is the Ethernet cable plugged in? And uh, the word I got back was saboteur. <laughs> so it's not the wisdom of children, I think, that sometimes brings the most joy um, or the most trouble. Um, but this is, this is the sort of natural joy in the good times. And some, I mean, hopefully we've all experienced the good times and, and there's joy in that. And there's another, there's another sort of joy. There's a, there's a joy in torture. Uh, you know, uh, I spent all yesterday on my knees preparing for this message. Uh, we'll put it this way. I spent all day yesterday on my knees. Uh, I was actually laying floorboards. Um, and my knees are really, really sore. Uh, and uh, my knees are not joyous at the moment. But when you look at the floor... That is an object of great joy. 
I'm really, really proud of what Ben and I did yesterday. It looks really good. But my knees are telling me they don't care. I'm not doing it, doing it again, at least not until this afternoon. Um, and so joy isn't always unrestrained um, feelings. It actually can be satisfaction. You can actually have to go through something fairly tough. I mean, my knees aren't going to be working terribly well for a couple of days, I shouldn't think. Now, and that's fairly frivolous. I mean, I know that there's a lot tougher things than my poor knees going on at the moment. But the biblical story shows us that we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude that God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, not because of satisfaction of a job well done, but because of their hope in God's love and promises. I mean, we learn this in Exodus, when God sends Moses to deliver the Israelites who have been living in slavery. And it says the first thing they do is rejoice. They sing songs of joy and praises. You think, well, that sounds fair enough. I mean, they've just been released from slavery. They were in the middle of the desert. This was before they got to the promised land. So Moses has said, I'm going to rescue you, pack all your belongings, leave in the middle of the night, and they wake up the next morning to find themselves in the middle of the desert, no water in sight, and they, and they rejoice. I mean, not a freaked out. It's like, hang on, what am I doing here? But they actually trusted in God, and, 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 it, and it actually tells us this. It says in... In Psalm 105, verse 43, So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. And they weren't rejoicing because they were in the middle of the desert. They were rejoicing because they'd put their trust in God and they believed that he had their future and their destiny in his hands. The fact that they were going to have to go through heaps and heaps of struggles to get there was irrelevant. They had made a decision. It was like a defining moment to say that Our joy is not determined by our struggles. It's determined by our faith in God. And so the theme continues on through the Old Testament because if you've read 1 1 and 2 Kings, you realise that Israel comes under um, the oppression of several empires. There's the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonians, there's even Egypt. And so there's a lot of stuff that's not particularly joyous in there. But they actually maintain their joy by looking forward to God's promises. Isaiah 35.10 says, Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And so that was the decision the Israelites had made. They were waiting and anticipating their future redemption. But they chose joy to wait with. And that's, that's why it's significant that when Jesus was born, it was announced as good, Jew, good Jews, good news. It was, like, was only one letter out. And uh, it was brought to the Jews. So perhaps that was just a, uh, I can't even remember what you call it. Um, it was news that brings great joy. And we read that in, in the Gospel of Luke. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. 
And so it's interesting that the, the first words spoken were not that the Saviour has come, not that redemption is here, that salvation is at hand, that the kingdom of God is coming, that you need to go out and make disciples and, and fill the earth with the kingdom of God. It was rejoice. Have joy in your life. The good news is here. Rejoice. It wasn't about any of the other stuff. It was about rejoicing. Um, even Jesus rejoiced when he was told or given the mandate by his Father in heaven to actually start his ministry. Uh, in chapter 10 of Luke, it says, at the, at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So he was full of joy. There was an anticipation and an excitement and an attitude that he had. And he taught that to his followers. And he said weird things. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you, he likes it so far, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I mean, who likes that sort of stuff? No? Me neither. Don't know why I've got my hand up. Um, and it says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so here we get a feeling that joy isn't just this happy, clappy feeling. It's actually a decision that we have to make. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news. And as they did so, early Christian communities were known for the joy and the Holy Spirit that they carried with them. And even when they were being persecuted, Acts 13.50 says, Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. There's probably a sermon in there. And the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection, went to the town of Iconium, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It takes a certain type of attitude, I think, to have joy in those circumstances. The Apostle Paul writes a lot of encouraging letters to people, full of joy, full of hope, full of wisdom. And yet he's sitting in a jail cell in Rome, on death row, waiting to be executed. His life is not actually full of joy, and yet he exudes joy in everything he does and everything he writes because he has something inside of him. He calls it the joy of faith or the joy in the Lord. And he believed it was a gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the middle of hardship. And, and he, he says this in, in Philippians 1.25. He's talking... Um, to the Philippians, he says, Knowing this, I am convinced I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And so he, he's, he's, he believes his mission from God is, is so strong in him that he's going to persevere against the Romans until he's made sure that people experience the joy of faith. Philippians 3.1, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. So even though his circumstances aren't good, he, he says, I, I don't grow weary telling you about these things. I rejoice in what God has called me to do and I encourage you to rejoice as well. 
And, uh, and you've got to think that when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy is a reasonable response. And it uh, doesn't matter how dark, dark the circumstances get, you can still be joyful. Now, notice that it doesn't mean you ignore or suppress the pain and the suffering that you're going through, because that's not healthy, and it certainly isn't necessary. Uh, Paul himself expressed his grief about missing loved ones or, or friends or, or losing his own freedom. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.10, he says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And he called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. And as he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. Because that's, that's, that's part of the secret of joy. It's knowing that whatever we're going through isn't going to last forever. There is something at the other side of what we're going through. And it's sort of very different from that, those old Christian messages you get, you know, turn that frown upside down. And, um, that's, they're not particularly helpful, really, because Christian joy is actually a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. But I think sometimes we struggle with the concept. Uh, it's very easy to be unjoyful, non-joyful, miserable, in the face of suffering. Uh, we all hate scriptures like James chapter 1 and verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, run away. No, he doesn't say that. He says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And you've got to think, this James was, was a strange person. How can he write things like that? Because it's, it's sort of confronting, isn't it? You sort of feel guilty if you don't meet every challenge with joy. But it doesn't actually mean that you know, every time something happens to you, you've got to go, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about me. I'm dying on the inside, but I'm never going to let you know. That's not joy. That's, that's deception and really, really dangerous. It's actually about an attitude of whom we're trusting. And so I just want to leave you this morning with, with this idea, and it's not from the Bible, so I apologise if that offends you. It's actually from a, a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Does anybody know about the book? Has anybody read the book? Oh, there's more people here, that's good. Um, there's lots of weird and wonderful stories about dolphins and, and uh, other things, but one, one of the, the story that caught my attention was, was the guy who was trying to invent invisibility. And he discovered that he didn't have to invent invisibility. All he had to do was invent the somebody else's problem field. And he describes it as the somebody else's problem field as a cheap, easy, and staggeringly useful way of protecting something from unwanted eyes. Any object around which an SEP field is applied will cease to be noticed because any problems one may have become somebody else's. An object becomes not so much invisible as unnoticed. And while this is a sort of whimsical example, and the books themselves are a sort of a whimsical uh, poke at human nature, uh, and it, you've got to admit that things often disappear from our consciousness when they're somebody else's problem. I mean, workplaces are rife with this whole idea that you don't have to be concerned with something if you can make it somebody else's problem. Demarcation disputes 
a cause because people don't want you to worry about other people's problems. They want you to forget. And as I said in the chapel services, that famous story about the three council workers and one of them, their job was to dig the hole, the other one's job was to plant the tree and the, other one's, the third one's job was to fill the hole in. And one day, somebody was observing and, and the guy planting the trees was sick. And so they were going along and the first one was digging a hole and the third one was filling it in again. And they kept doing this because that was their job. The fact that the, other, the guy putting the trees in the hole wasn't there was somebody else's problem. And so they ignored it. And so... I, it's human nature, but I thought it actually has a great parallel when it comes to biblical joy, because joy isn't about making things other people's problems. It isn't about forgetting the pain that we're going through. It's actually an attitude that comes out of a recognition that the circumstances we face are under somebody else's authority, and therefore our attitude, once we grab hold of that, we need to understand sickness is under the authority of Jesus. It's not under ours. Persecution is under the authority of Jesus. Disappointment is under the authority of Jesus. Our finances are under the authority of Jesus. Our relationships are under his authority. Wrongdoings, things that people have done to us, are under the authority of Jesus. Suffering, pain, is under Jesus' authority. And the list goes on. All things are an opportunity for joy because they are under somebody else's authority. And that's where our biblical joy comes from, from a recognition that we may not be able to control our circumstances. We may not like our circumstances. We may be struggling with all sorts of things in there, but the circumstances themselves are under the authority of God. And even though there are things that happen in our lives that we wouldn't want to happen, there is always a, a cause for joy because they are under God's authority. And if we trust in him, I mean, this is, this is what it comes down to. If we put our trust in God, we can have no other response but joy because we know that God has our best interests at heart, our life in his hands, and his plans for us are, are way better or way more insightful and and some word that I can't think of that, that's better for us. Don't you hate it when that happens? It seems to be happening more and more. I don't... <laughs> Anyone who says senior moment, you're in trouble. Um, but we, we actually need to have that attitude that uh, who are we trusting? Are we trusting the circumstances? Because let me tell you, they're not trustworthy. We need to be trusting God. And once we trust God, then joy becomes second nature. Can I get the band up behind me? And as they're coming, I just want to give you an invitation this morning. If you're here and you haven't actually ever recognized that giving God authority in your life is what will bring you joy, then I want to give you an opportunity this morning to actually make a statement before God, to actually tell God that you're prepared to change your life this morning by giving him authority. We call it a, the first step of salvation. It's actually acknowledging that Jesus Christ is your Lord and is your Saviour. 
and that he actually wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to walk through your life with you, developing and building a relationship with you as you go forward in your life so that you can develop a sense of joy in your life. And so can I ask everyone just to close their, head, close their heads, close their <laughs> eyes, bow their heads, whichever works for you. And if that's you this morning, you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Or you may be here and you've done that before in a different service, a different church, different situation. But you know that the life you're leading now is not with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Then can I just ask you to put your hand up quickly while nobody else is looking around so that I know who I'm praying for. And we'll pray a prayer together to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anyone here at all who wants to do that this morning? Awesome. Can I get you to open your eyes, stand? Oh, open them first and then stand. Okay. Sorry, I can see people were confused by that. And we're, we're going we're, we're to sing that song again that talks about God's love, but it's a, it's a joyful song. It's a song which actually, if we sing it from our hearts, acknowledges that He is in control. But it's his love, it's his compassion, it's his power that brings the joy to our lives. But before we do that, let's just pray. Lord, I thank you for everybody here under the sound of my voice. I thank you that they are fully connected with you this morning. That the trials and circumstances of their life fade into insignificance when they realise the joy a relationship with you I thank you Lord that over this Christmas period that that joy becomes visible to friends family work colleagues hospital staff family homes I just thank you that you keep pouring that joy into our hearts as we lift up your name go through life as your children with a relationship that's forever growing with your son Jesus Christ. Amen.